Slogan, everybody. Welcome to Friday. Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. I'm Paul Dottino. Yes, he is Super Bowl champ Jeff Fiegels at Jay Fiegels on Twitter, at Giants WFAN on Twitter. Of course, you can dial us up here at 201-939-4513. Or if you'd like, you could always go to Twitter and go to hashtag Giants Chat. Sometimes people are shy, Jeff, and they don't like to dial us up on the phone. That's fine. Some so, people like to type rather than talk. So we'll try to get to your uh, your Twitter comments as well. We're going to be here for the next hour and talk Giants football with you. And quite honestly, uh, Jeff, again, the number 201-939-4513. Our lines are wide open right now if you'd like to get in, and Dave will get you on hold. Uh, Jeff, we just finished up watching the rookies last week uh, as they came in for their rookie minicamp. 77 players in all, 10 draft picks, a total of 77, which included uh, a whole ton of rookie tryouts, of which only a few got signed, which means they'll, which be, is able, normal. they'll be able to come back to the 90-man roster when the workouts begin next week. But from, from your perspective, okay, as you look at this rookie class, uh, I've been telling Lance and John both, I could easily see eight of the 10 players making the team and maybe two practice squad guys. I think that, you know, the draft was very solid for the Giants, and I think there's a lot of upside to these kids that they took. Well, 8 out of 10. So, Corey Ballantyne being the eighth pick, you see him making the team probably, you know? Yeah, I mean, to me... The, because you got depth there. I, I think that, that the last two picks, potentially, uh, Big George mm-hmm. out of Kentucky, the right tackle, practice and, squad. And, maybe, and maybe Slayton, the defensive tackle out of Syracuse. Maybe mm-hmm. those two guys are practice squad candidates. I think it's very possible and realistic. The other eight guys could all make the team. Yeah. Um, Slayton, in my, my, my distant analysis, you know, he's a three, three technique gap guy. Okay. Right. So there's a little adds a little depth at that position, but the knock on him, why he was a seventh rounder is because he's late. He was, you know, knocked as being a little bit lazy and his production He's a big dude. His production just didn't, didn't mold with what his size and he's you know could have done a little better so let's just see what happens sometimes guys wake up a little light bulb goes on in their head when they get to this level and they produce but bottom line yeah i mean eight eight out of ten i would go i would go seven out of ten okay i think there's probably going to be one in there that's that's maybe not who you think he is or it might be an injury or something like that so well the the top one for me is the auburn receiver Okay, yeah, that's a tough that's a tough crowd. Because Slayton's got a lot of numbers in front of him. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's a tough crowd. He'll have to impress in preseason. He'll have to impress in practice. Um, but that's all you can ask for. You got drafted by the team, and you go out there and you work your butt off, and hopefully you make the team. He could be another practice squad guy. And as you know, Giants, with receivers and defensive backs, that's a carousel there. It has been. It, it has. Practice squad, active squad, practice squad, Back active squad. Back into the squad. depth chart has been very mobile. Yeah, and you know if you are if you are that kid, you gotta be you gotta. I'm sitting down in meeting rooms, and I'm going to be paying attention to special teams like you can't believe. I say this every single year. Those fifth, sixth, seventh positions on the receiving, you better be able to play your butt off in special teams because you know it's going to be very hard to to crack into those first four spots at wide receiver and play. But if you want that fifth spot on the team you better be able to play special teams and that's what he's going to have to and that's a big thing paul what happens to these guys that come into college most of them and i mean most of them that maybe the the guys at the top maybe fifth round and up they didn't play a lot of special teams in college 
now they have to be indoctrinated to the whole new world of playing special teams, and that's the only way they're going to make the team. And it's hard to understand when you're a receiver or a defensive back or a linebacker who's started and played and you're the big man on campus that you all of a sudden now take a back seat and I'm not going to play the position I play, but I'm just going to be a special teams player for a few years. That's hard to accept. It really is. Well, because mentally you've been groomed to be a star your whole career and thinking yeah. that special teams are just a kind of a, of a pain in the rear end, if you will, right? Well, I, yeah, I, if you want to call it that, but well, I mean, that's what that's what the perception is. I'm perception. not saying that it should yeah. be. Yes, yeah. and perception is not the reality. Is you got to be able to go out there and play. And I think some of these guys, all these guys, will be playing special teams. Whoever makes the team from this draft class will be making playing special teams. Aside from Daniel Jones and and maybe Dexter Lawrence, um, you know, DeAndre Baker, he'll he'll play special teams even though he's a, you know a corner because they need him. Sure. They need guys like that. And he's physical, too. Yeah. Uh, they did make a move the other day, which was a little surprising to, I think, most of us. Robert Martin, the Rutgers running back who impressed yeah, last he did. summer and was on the practice squad. Uh, he was, he was uh, jettisoned as the Giants brought in former Cowboys and Seahawks running back Rod Smith. <sighs> Uh, well, very interesting move. Certainly the experience and the, the veteran presence uh, could be a plus, but... I have to say that you know Robert Martin had a nice August last year. Yeah, you don't. I it, you can't at this time. We know we 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 don't get a lot of information, so it's kind of hard to come up with an opinion on this. I mean, obviously we have opinions ourselves. Okay, yeah, I, I like Robert better than the other guy, but I don't know what the situation is there. I really don't know what what's what Smith I, has I, it to offer. It doesn't make right sense. Now. It doesn't make sense. There's that, that's what I'm saying. There's got to be something there that we don't know. Maybe who knows? Well, I'm sure there is. <laughs> my point is taken out you gotta we don't we're not around it enough right now to understand why that's so now i i have a very interesting question for you and i thought about this the other day because someone had said to me uh when you're trying to find a roster spot for a player and you can't really find out where you could steal it from because let's say you really want to keep three quarterbacks Okay, and so you can't steal it from there. And let's say you want to keep an extra DB. Well, you can't steal it from there. So where, where are you going to get the spot from? And somebody said to me, what about the personal protector on the punt unit? Can you keep a guy on the back end of your depth chart at one of the other spots, but whose key role or whose primary role on the roster every weekend is to be the personal protector for the punter? Is that something that is plausible? You did it, You well, you punted for so many years in the league. No. It's not. No, because, well, let me tell you this. Yes, and yes, in the sense that that guy, whoever it is, I know who you're talking about, will play everywhere. He's going to be situational at the quarterback position. He's going to play the fullback position. He's All right, play, well, just name the name, okay? He's gonna, Go ahead. No, you name the name, because I know that that's who you're talking about. You see, and he is so smart because <laughs> we did not discuss this before the show, did we? No. Tell the people, we did not. No, it's just, but I listen, it's this league, you guys know how it works. When something works for one team, another team is going to try to do Dungy it. out of Syracuse. Okay, he's not making this team as a quarterback. There's just no way in the world. But can he play quarterback? Yes. Can he be in? Can he be in a personal protection situation on the punt team and run a play, being a quarterback? Yes. Can he be put in the game like the guy from New Orleans? What's his name? The guy Tyson Hill. There you go. Sure. So but, there's but, where you hide the but guy. But could he, could he be the personal protector on the punt unit on a consistent basis? Yeah. Could he do it? Yeah. He could. absolutely. One hundred percent. 
Because and what are the key traits that that guy has to do? Okay. Uh, athletic, okay. Um, can be able to he run. He's he's fast. He's what four or five guy, right? I mean, he's quick. He's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Um, big. He's also slash tight end, so he's 6'4", 240 pounds, 230, well, something like that. about 225, I think. Okay, but he's big enough to play that position. He's smart enough to play the position, certainly. There you go. Um, and then you know what? Tackling is a part of it, so he's an offensive player. I don't know how much background he has in, in tackling, but that's something you can, you can do, especially if you're a big guy and you're fast and quick and you, you've been taught the right way. So, yes, you can stash a guy like that as you know, but not that's the only way, in my opinion, that, that you could do it, do it that. And listen, there's a linebacker, or there's usually a running back, or um, I've seen a, safeties play personal or protector. safeties. Those are the three positions you kind of usually see the PP, they call them. That's where you see them at. And those are the usually the back end of the roster guys that play that position. Okay, so it would be possible. So you yeah. have answered my question. I'd like Thank to you. answer the questions. And well, again, I, I, I knew you could. Um, let me I just try to, I'm trying and to And I think. just thought that the people would be interested in the same answer, so that's why I asked you on the air as opposed to off the air. I want to ask you a question. Oh, boy. This doesn't happen very often. It doesn't because everyone that hosts the show, Paul, Schmelk, and Meadow, they always ask me the questions. I never get to ask you guys questions. You can always ask me a question. I, I, want, to know, I want to know out of this draft class who you think could be a very impactful special teams player. This year. I know one. Actually, I know two. I think there will be pretty good special teams players. Well, I, I'd be honest with you. I think all three cornerbacks okay. could be very important on special teams in terms of their ability to get down and kick coverage. Okay. Uh, I, I, see, I see speed on all three of those guys, although Ballantyne and um, uh, Baker are quicker than Love. Mm -hmm. Love's a little bit slower than the other two guys, according to the 40 times. But... Um, Love and Baker hit. They are physical players. They are not afraid of contact. Exactly. And I can only imagine that they will be kick-butt coverage guys. Mm -hmm. Did you have somebody else in mind? I do. I do. I think well, you're going to think Connolly. Yeah, absolutely. Ryan Connolly can play some special teams. I think that you know he's a guy that he's not going to be a starter. He's going to be your special teams guy, and he might you know he'll he'll definitely be a uh, a contributor. It has to be. He's a six-round draft pick. There you go, right? No, he's not sixth round, fifth round. Excuse me. Five, yeah. But he's a four-six guy and um, good speed, and he'll be he'll play special teams. Um, out of this corner, now listen. If you didn't notice, the Giants made a complete turnaround in special teams from 2017. Yes. To 2018. They were really good last year. They were in the top three in the NFL. Now you add some of these guys that we just talked about. That is the one third of the of the component that we always say. You, you know, if you get two to three, you win the game. Well, the special teams they kept their end of the bargain up quite a bit last year. Aldrick Rosas one field goal missed outside his fifty something yards. Mm -hmm. um, Riley great season. Mm -hmm. And you look at some of these other guys. The special teams is a is a solid unit that's going to help this team win some games next year. Who do you think the return guys are going to be? Do you I think, think it's Coleman, going to be does Coleman hold the kickoff return and does Peppers take the punt return? Yeah, I would I would like to see that. I don't want to see Jabil Peppers returning kickoffs. He's more of a dynamic punt returner. He makes plays that way because it's it's he's good in he's good in crowded areas. You know what I mean? A kickoff return is you got the whole field in front of you. It's north south. Your vision. Jabril can make people miss in a bunch of ways, mm -hmm. and I think that he's done that. And I think he showed that he can do that 
and I think he'll get a shot at that. Um, just depends on you know the coaches and they all, you have to have two of them because you know how it happens. Some guys get nicked up and you got to have your guy behind you. So I don't know who would be the second guy behind him because um, they got rid of. Um, well, Henderson's gone. Yeah, you know. And so I and, think and he that, did an actually a nice job. That's what I was saying. Hurt. Yeah, but I think that Jabril will be your primary punt returner. Now I would I would tell you you know who were, or I'd ask you who are the gunners, but I think the corners are going to be the gunners. And quite honestly, it doesn't matter anyway because Zach Diassi always gets down there first. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> he gets down there and makes the tackle regardless. It, it doesn't matter. He, he will should. outrun anybody. He should. There's a rule that you can't block him right up the line of scrimmage. That's so right. You should be able to go down there. I'm going to tell him you said that. I, I've you're, told, t- you're taking him for granted. Let me tell you something. <laughs> he, he, he'll be like, really? He tells me that all the time. Why are you going to tell me that again? <laughs> I always say, why didn't you have nine tackles in the game? He only had three. <laughs> no, but he loves, you know, he loves that. He loves, he loves that position. He really does. And, you know, being a linebacker, that's, that's a natural ability to run down and tackle. So, Oh, he certainly gets down there in a hurry. So very interesting to see, you know, a lot of these guys. And I think, Paul, this is the first, first show you and I have done since the draft. Yes. And, um, you know, I was pretty impressed with the players that were taken in this draft by the Giants in, in terms of depth. And I think that the Giants did a nice job filling some depth positions, especially at that cornerback. And they did the safety position at um, in free agency. Um, I believe that Julian Love can also play a little bit of... Um, Looks like free safety. Yeah, so I think that you get a little see. bit of a hybrid there. So all in all, we're going to see. Daniel Jones, we're not going to see. We're not going to see him. Might as well stop talking about him. So... Move on to number two, Dexter Lawrence. And I think the people are really going to be happy to see how this young guy plays because he's a big dude and he can get after the passer from that interior position and he's a load and he's a good good run stopper. He is a very, very big man. Good. Trust need, me when I tell you. Yeah, you need you a, haven't met him yet, have you? No. Uh, he had trouble getting through the door. He had to come in on an angle. Seriously. That is ridiculous. He had to come in on an angle. And yet, the funny part about it... It's a small you, door. You, you remember Sean Rogers? Oh, yeah. Who was just a big load? Mm-hmm. Lawrence looks felt. He's cut out. Yeah, he, he, he looks like he's maybe only 3'10", because of the way his body he's shape and his body dude. type is. Yeah. But it's just that he's really 340 or 343 or whatever it is. You know, this is funny. Wow. We'll, go, we'll go to the calls in a second. But when you reminded me about when you know he couldn't get through the door, he had to go halfway or you know at the angle... It totally reminded me when I was with the Eagles. You know, we signed, I didn't, we, the giant, the uh, Eagles signed, the fridge. <laughs> Remember? That's right. You had Perry at the end. And um, you talk about a big man. Remember, he was one of the, the biggest guys in the NFL back then. And he was only like 310 pounds. Well, you know, now it's like everybody is fridge 3.0 now. You know, they're all, they're all a heck of a lot bigger than that. All right, let's go to the phones. Uh, remember, the Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented to you by Coors Light. 201-939-4513 is our phone number. We will go to line one, and Rashawn from Virginia is first up on the show. Hello. How you doing, gentlemen? Good. Hi. Doing great. I just want to touch on, I, I love the draft. People didn't like it. I do like it. I like Daniel Jones. I watch film on him. I think he's going to be... A uh, very underrated quarterback. Whenever he gets that chance to get that starting job, hopefully in the next couple years, because mm-hmm. I still believe in Eli. Good. Well, I think the Giants feel the same way. Yeah. You know, it's really a wait and see attitude. 
John Mara himself has said he lies a year-by-year proposition right now, which means they haven't closed the door on him potentially coming back in 2020 if circumstances dictate that, Mm -hmm. which means, okay, Daniel Jones, there's a real chance you won't see the field until 2021, at least as a starter. He may see some snaps before then, but it may not be his team till 2021, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Not a, no. listen. If, if if he's a not a starter in 2021, what's that tell you about 2019? Yeah. I mean, excuse me, 2020. I, I meant. Hey, well, it tells you I the next two the years are going to be good. Orchestrated this roster this year. Mm-hmm. It's not a rebuilding year. I believe this draft pick might set a fire under Eli, and fans might see straight dominant performance this year. I am a fan. Hey. Since two, since oh, sorry, 92. I've been a fan since my cousin played Myron Guyton. Play with LT. So I've been a fan for a long time. Your cousin was Myron Guyton? Yes, sir. Number 29. Holy smokes. Myron, Myron, Myron after the Giants wound up going to the Patriots and and had a few years up there. He got badly beaten up, though. I mean, he left the game pretty pretty much scotch taped together, right? I mean, he had a lot of injuries. He did, but still a great cousin, loving the death. Oh, that's great. I like the Giants, you know. Would you would you tell I I've, I've lost touch with him. You please send regards for me next time you talk to him. Myron Myron was a very underrated player here and always got a smile on his face, great attitude, and and I I'm I'm really happy to hear that he's doing okay. Yes, he is, sir. He's doing good. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. I have a great day, y'all. You, you too. too now. Appreciate too. it. Wow. <laughs> Relative of Myron Guyton. Well, you would know the name. Oh, you 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 don't know? You don't remember him? No. That's right, because Schmel keeps giving you all the names of guys you played with. Oh, I know didn't I didn't play, play with, with him. I would have known Myron. <laughs> he, he gives me the Chris and Joe and, you know, and Tim well, and Smiths of the world. Myron, I would have remembered. Okay. Obviously, you did. So. Well, yeah, it was a terrific Of course player. you did. We go to line four. Don from Texas. You're next on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Hello. Hey, happy Friday, guys. You too. You too. All right. I'm glad I got both of you guys on because I have my uh, statements are two points. First, I got a question and I got a statement and then I'm going to take it off the air. So my question is mostly with the locker room. Um, As fans, we get to see everything from the outside. You guys are our connection to see what's going on. So my first part is for Paul. The second part is for Jeff. So for Paul, what exactly were you seeing during the last regime? Obviously, the Landon Collins, Eli Apple, the OBJ. Were you seeing too many clicks within clicks? And then the second part for Jeff, do you think this is a direct relation to coaching, playing, players, or was it more of a losing culture and people didn't know how to deal with losing? This is one of those things I was always curious to hear about, what, especially you, Dot, seeing them up close every day. What were you seeing with that? And then the second part of my statement, hope you guys don't mind. I'm just going to vent a little bit. That's okay. All right. That's what we're here for. Do, do you want us to answer first, or do you want to keep going? Or do you want to vent uh, next? I'll, I'll give you my vent, and I'll take it off the air. I know it's a Friday. You guys got a lot of calls. Okay, so. go ahead. All right. Ready, I, go. And, all right, I'm going to begin my vent. I believe in Dave Gettleman 100% wholeheartedly, and it's really annoying for me. To keep watching, there's two guys that every time they come on, it just gets really annoying. First, Lewis Riddick on ESPN and Mark Ross, whenever he gets on NFL. These guys from the sideline, all they do is comment and bash Gettleman and all his moves. Let us not forget what he picked up for 
from you guys, okay? Especially Mark Ross. I don't even want to get into all the specifics. But it's as if my kids made a mess in the kitchen, and if I started cleaning it up, and my kids started commenting the way I cleaned it up. Mm-hmm. Anyway, have a great weekend, guys. <laughs> I'll take your answers off to you. Good analogy. Thanks very much. Uh, why don't you start with point number two? Well, I would tell you this. that It's twofold, okay? it's First of all, losing is not good. Okay, and when, when losing occurs, a lot of things happen. And when a lot of things happen, there's a lot of times that the players are trying to get something started and they start doing things on their own because they lose faith in their coaches. They lose faith in what's going on, so they think that they're going to try and change it the way they want to do it, which means on the field, they're not doing what the coaches are implementing. They're not in the, and they're just not listening. They're doing their freelancing. They're doing so it spirals out of control, and that's kind of what has happened the last few years, especially in McAdoo's year at the end of the year. Um, that season was a spiral out of control. Last year, I felt, and this is my opinion, you had a little residual of that at the first part of the season, where it's kind of things were a little needed to be shaken up a little bit. And that's where you saw things with Snacks and Eli Apple and those kinds of guys. So changes happen for reasons. But to answer your question, inside the locker room, it is a crazy place because once you have the locker room lawyers and you have guys that are trying to conduct their business in their own way and they're not doing it philosophically through the organizational's way, you have problems. All right, let's go back to point number one. And he's talking about what happened during the latter stages of the Jerry Reese regime in terms of the draft picks that they took. There's no question the Giants did not do enough early enough to enhance and fortify their offensive line in particular. Oh, no question. That position was unfortunately allowed to rust and deteriorate to the point when, where they finally started to address it. It was too late, and it was not enough. Mm-hmm. That, that, to me, is the number one characteristic. And they, hang, they, they hung on to players way too long. Okay. Way too long. And number two, absolutely. They, they did not turn the page on a misfire. Right. You know, right. It's, Dave Gettleman's real quick on the, on the trigger. If, if he thinks, oh, you know what, this isn't working, it was a misfire, we went awry on this, okay, boom. See That's ya. it. Do something about it. Goodbye. Don't compound the error by holding on to the misfire. So that's number two, I Eric think Flowers. You, could, you could say. Eric Flowers was one of those guys. Okay. And, and number three, there were too many gambles. Too many times in the first four rounds, especially, the Giants, uh, under the last few years of that administration, were drafting guys who were more athletic than they were football players because they had great speeds and times and weights and measurements. And these guys were wonderful athletes, outstanding physical specimens. You get them in the locker room, you look at the guy like, wow, man, this guy's going to be great. And then when they got out on the field, they never fully acclimated themselves to the pro game for whatever reason it was. And even Jerry Reese himself admitted this going into his last season, and John Mara was very public about saying, going into Jerry Reese's last season, we've taken too many gambles. We've got to we've got to take more surefire bets in terms of real football players. Well, and those three things to me characterized what put the Giants in the hole that they're still trying to crawl out of. 
And I think that you will not you will not argue this point when somebody has said it. I, I think it might have been Dave Gutherman. When you draft guys from good schools, okay? Let's take a look at this. Duke, good school, not a good powerhouse, but you know Daniel Jones is an exception of the rule here. Well, okay, ACC, but they're nothing, ACC. Nothing All wrong right. with that. Duke, Clemson, Georgia, Old Miss, Notre Dame, mm-hmm. Wisconsin, Auburn. <laughs> <laughs> Shall I go? Washington. Keep I keep going. going. Keep I going. keep going. Um, Kentucky. Okay, still a good school. Good football. I mean, not a great football school. They were a good football school last year. And Syracuse. Well, all major divisions. All major Outside divisions. Outside of Old Dominion, because that's Conference USA. That's where the X Man came from. Okay, and help me out. This go last year. Name them last year. Where they came from, with exception of Utah. I mean, the second rounder was from Utah. Yeah. I mean, Utah and the guy was, you know, they, they, he never won a game in college, right? I mean, here, here, here's what I would say. There are certainly conferences and schools that develop guys who are more pro-ready than others. And if that's the point you're going to get to, I think, I think that, there's truth to that. That is where I'm going. I, I feel like you have to draft guys from big schools if they're going to make the, the jump okay now but i i don't want to just automatically no slam a guy who comes from a smaller school no. and say he can't do it i don't my, want i don't no, want to go there my, i guess the other part of my answer is that if you do go to another school you there's re- usually a reason why that guy is coming from that school mm-hmm. whether it was academics early on whether it was something there's no reason why that guy can't be a great player, but you got to have a grade on him, and you got to do your due diligence and make sure that he's going to be able to compete at the level that you're drafting all these other kids from. That's mm-hmm. my point. And does it happen? Absolutely. Every single year there's somebody from a small school that makes the jump that nobody thought of that they could, and they do. It happens. You know, I mean, I don't have the, on my computer in front of me, but you go down the first three rounds, there's quite a few kids from smaller schools in those first three rounds that are going to make an impact on the team. Well, bottom line, a smaller school may have a terrific coaching staff or even a guy who had pro experience that makes them more of an outlier in that regard and will allow him to prepare his prospects maybe even better than one of the bigger schools who may not have that talented of a coaching staff. That can happen. You know, we, you know, but any, any, any event, Uh, let's see here, Dave, my computer is frozen. So you're just going to have to go to the next line. Scott is on line three. Too tight. Really? Circulation off of my head. (laughs) (laughs) How about that for an intro, Scott? (laughs) Hi, Scott. How are you doing? (laughs) This is a small medium. I need a medium large, I guess. You're next on the show. (laughs) Okay, well, uh, first... I was. I had a comment I was going to make, but in regards to the caller and prior regimes, you could make the same statement about every coaching regime there is or general manager combination because uh, despite what Jerry Reese or, or Mark Ross did, they still brought a Super Bowl to the, to the Giants. And if you look at Dave Gettleman's year, his first year, he made some mistakes in, in holding on to Eric Flowers or bringing in Patrick Omame. Or... No, that's wrong. That's wrong. He got rid of Omame midseason, and he got know, rid of but, Flowers but midseason. Them in, and my point being is it's, I think it's a little unfair to keep bashing prior regimes and, and, and 
not take into account that they did draft some very good players as well. And even if it failed, which it did at the end, uh, there were other uh, extenuating circumstances as to why those Scott, nobody was nobody was bashing them. The, the caller asked for some characteristics about why things went sour, and right. those, those and are we just made the facts. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not bashing him. And, okay. and honestly, you must understand, Dave Gettleman made a ton of moves to try to clean up a mess. And as soon right. as he figured out that those moves weren't working, what did he do? He got rid of those guys. Now, right. now you okay. can't. Now, no matter. No. Season Paul thinking they were going to work, well, and well, they didn't. Okay. Obviously, right. That's, that's but but here, it happens. yeah, it does. The important thing is don't compound an error by allowing that mistake to linger on and make things worse. Yeah, and I agree. I think uh, he, they probably did that. But again, I just uh, it makes me feel uncomfortable when everybody's saying this didn't work, but yet you had a Super Bowl as a result of that regime, of uh, picking draft choices, et cetera, et cetera. But that wasn't my main focus. Uh, my main focus, actually, or my main question really has to do with uh, extolling the virtues of the draft choices and so forth before they actually hit the field. Uh, and I want to take one example, for example. One guy that I have a lot of faith in, and you, I know you do as well, Paul, is uh, O'Shane Zimenez. And if you look at his statistics in college, they were excellent. Yeah. But do we put undue pressure on these players because we really don't have an edge rusher per se uh, other than Marcus Golden. Marcus Golden only had two and a half sacks last year. So we're putting a lot of pressure on a guy who came from a small college and didn't face the kind of uh, uh, competition that, say, uh, Dexter Lawrence faced. Does that put too much pressure on the player before he's even taken the field? Because in the NFL, obviously, you're going at warp speed, and it's a whole different ball game, as Jeff, you already know. So the real key is by uh, do, do we have the natural tendency to say this guy is going to be a great star before he even hits the field, and does that put too much pressure on him to perform rather than let him work into yeah. a system? Well, I'll answer this because I'm I'm quite frankly a little bit tired of all the this uh, millennial crap that goes along here with everybody. Oh, it's so much pressure to play the game. You know what? You're drafted in the third round. You're expected to play well. Right. And so you know, in the way that things work, yeah, that's what that's what the NFL is all about. It's all about pressure and being Correct. able to understand how to to play under the pressure and do good. And then you know what? If you if you can play that way, then th that's good. If you can't, then they're, you're not going to be able to play in the league. They're just banking Correct. on it, so they are putting a lot of pressure on the kid. But you got to be able to take it, and you got to go out there and play. And they just yeah. look at the intangibles. They look at the measurables, and they feel like this guy is going to be the Z is it the X man is going to be able to play, and he'll be a situational rusher the first year. And I think that he'll be fine. Right. And there was a, a famous saying that Billie Jean King, the tennis player, said that. Passion is a privilege, uh, and it really is. Uh, sure. If you can, if, if you can embrace it, you can play well. Uh, so I just was curious with all the rookies. In other words, do they feel it in training camp? In other words, oh, they yeah. say, "Well, this, the, the Giants didn't perform well, and they're relying on us to do it." Do they? put that on themselves? Do the coaches put that on them? Or do they just embrace and say this is part of the NFL now as they move forward? I will tell you for a fact the coaches put it on them because they okay. want to see they want to see how these young kids react to that type of pressure and if they're going to be able to handle it going forward. And then there's a little bit of tweaking there and there because not everybody's the same. You know, Correct. Paul and I react differently to if somebody's going to yell at me or him. Okay? I mean, it, it is, Paul's probably... 
you know, better than me. Somebody yells, I, I do not like conflict, so I, I always just abide by the rules, did my job, and I don't want anybody yelling at me, okay? <laughs> right. And if somebody did yell at me, then I like, oh, crap, oh, my God, okay? So I just stayed away from that. That's because you're not a paisan, my right. friend. Now, look over here, and you yell at this guy, he's going to think that you're threatening him, and it's going to get into a little bit of a problem. We got to break right. out the golf clubs and the baseball bats. <laughs> okay, my last question is really uh, one that uh, it's very early, but if you had to pick your starting defensive lineup right now, and I'll take this answer off the okay. air, who would be your starting 11 as it stands right now? And I know this will change. Uh, I kind of have an idea of what's going to happen on offense, but on defense, I'm a little unclear. So I thought maybe if either of you know or have in your mm -hmm. heart what you think the starting lineup's going to look like uh, come. Uh, uh, sure. First game in the season. What do you think? Who are those players going right. to be? And, and thanks, guys. You're welcome. Okay, very good. All uh, right. I, I'm, I'll give you a chance to, to uh, look don't, at it. Don't I don't want to look at it. Oh, I thought you'd want to look at no, at least I, the I, roster. No, I, I, I'm, I. You don't want to look at it. I think okay. I can pick it. I was just going to help you out. No, it's okay. I, and my this, front this three sucks. is going to be Dexter Lawrence, and it's going to be Tomlinson, and it's going to be B.J. Hill. Okay. All right. My linebackers are going to be um, Goodson and Ogletree. And then it's going to be Marcus Golden, and it's going to be um, Lorenzo Carter. And then on the backside is going to be your two safeties. It's going to be Bethea and Jabril Peppers. And then the corner is going to be Jenkins. And on the other side, it's going to be uh, DeAndre Baker. And mixed in with um, Beal in there somewhere, the slot corner could be um, Julian Love or one of the other guys in there too. Grant Haley, maybe. Well, see, to me, it's almost an impossible. How good am I? How close am I? Oh, I think that's really good. But you see, to me, starters is kind of a misnomer because in the sub package that, that they play 65% of the time, does it really matter who the starters are? No, it doesn't. But you got it on paper, it has to be a starter. It has I know. to be somewhere. I know. And agents like to qualify that when they go in for their contracts. Yeah. Oh, my no, guy well, I... started 13 games. That's great. Okay, guess what? He you played, played 63% of the place. <laughs> but he started. He was a starter. Which, by the way, I, I, I started every game of my career, but I wasn't a starter. Right, exactly. Because it's true. I was not a starter. That's true. According to the game book, you're not a starter. No. I know. Oh, well. Which is so wrong. Oh, well, who cares? I don't care. I know I played every game. I know I started every Did game. Did anybody <laughs> ever take a punt away from you when you were on the field? Yeah. Yeah, because I got knocked out of the game. Oh, the game in Philly? No. I punted that game. Well, I remember you punted that no, game. No, I punted after that game. I punted after the incident, too. I, that was before, I remember that. That so, was before the concussion protocol, where there's somebody. Oh, right. there's something wrong with that guy down there. So what? What? what who, who? Who? Was we? Did we? We had a kicker one time had a punt. No, no, no. We had a punter that had to kick. That too. That that was me. No, that, but there was also another time. Not maybe for before me. you. It was before maybe you. Before me. Where we had to have a kicker punt. No, no. Matt Bryant got hurt in a Dolphins game one year, and I had to kick for him. That is true. I remember and then, that. And then in Philly, when I was, we were playing the Buffalo Bills in, in, um, in Buffalo, Steve Tasker knocked me out on a block kick. He, he just, he hit me. I was like a missile, Boop, head on the turf, whole game out. And Randall Cunningham finished the game. Yeah. Concussion. Well, Randall Cunningham could kick. Uh, Randall Cunningham, I used to tell him, will you please stop? Because he loved to punt. And by the way, he was double-jointed in his right leg. His leg would go back so far, his hip. And he was an All-American at UNLV. And he would kick during practice. And I would tell him, you need to stop this. Please, go play quarterback. 
<laughs> get away from me. Yeah, but you like to pass. And I like so, to pass, so, but so. I. But let me tell you something. I wasn't as good a passer as Randall Cunningham, and he might have been a better punter than I was. So I was like, get away. No, he was so talented. Man, was he just – and he just looked so graceful doing it because that leg used he to was. come all the way back. And But he was what I, what I called a boomer as a punter. Oh, of course. Yeah, he just, just line let, drive. He just let it just, go. Yeah, no question. And, you know, he had the 90 – I think it was a 90-something yeah, yard kick in the stadium. Meadowlands. Yeah, on third yeah. down, quick kick. And, and, it, and it must have rolled about it 25 yards. It did. It rolled yards. over. It was um, Dave Meggett was the mm -hmm. returner, mm -hmm. and it went over his head. It rolled all the way down to it must have been like the two-yard line. And then, yeah, he got a 90-something yard punt yeah. on a quick, quick kick third Rid down. Ridiculous. I wasn't in that game. That was the year before I got there. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah. Pretty, pretty amazing. So anyways, um, there you go. 201-939-4513. Um, there was a point that, that Scott had made I wanted to finish off, and I guess I'm, I'm forgetful of it. Uh, Timothy Allen Girac, uh just wants to mention, he thinks you were mentioning Will Hernandez going to Utah, but he reminds everybody that it was UTEP. Is that who you were referring to? Yes, I apologize. Yep. Oh, you did? You yeah. were referring to Will? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you were referring to no, Will. No, I was. I, said, I, was, I was sitting here trying to think, who were you referring to Utah? And then I thought to myself, you probably meant Boise State. No, it was UTEP. Exactly. That's okay. Correct. All That's right. Correct. Well, thank you, Good Timothy. catch. That, thank that, you. Very good. Very good. All right. And also, uh, Jim McHugh says, listen to yesterday's sh show. It says it's a small community of folks who can get pumped up over the impending competition at center. But he loves it. We were discussing the fact that uh, Spencer Pulley and, uh, and Pio, John Jalapio, are uh, ticketed, according to offensive line coach Hal Hunter, for a tremendous battle at the starting center position. He said both guys are going to absolutely positively get reps with the first team because it wouldn't be fair to their fight if one guy got more first team reps than the other. Who's your starter? I'm a pulley guy. I think the team liked Jalapio until he got hurt. I don't think there's any question, but did you know that Pulley put on 10 to 15 pounds? He bulked up. So he got fat? No, he's up to like 310 now. <laughs> and it's all up yeah. here. I can't even simulate that because I hope you know, a lot of times getting enough. bigger makes you slower. You don't want to be slow. You want to be able to, to play. I'm, I'm just, I, I, look, here's the thing. I've seen evidence of Pulley's tape in a Giants uniform, and it was good. Whole second half of the season, it was good. Unfortunately for Pio, his sample size as a giant center is very, very small. Well, Pio's tape is good. I mean, uh, it'll uh, be a good battle. Pulley's tape is good. It'll it is going to be a good battle. Yeah. And and as Hal Hunter said to me, the guy who doesn't win is for sure next up as the inside swing guy. Okay. So so it's still good news. So where's the other real real competition going to be? Right tackle, right? There's going to be a big competition for the right tackle spot in terms of the starter. Plus, there's going to be one for who's number three. I mean, let's say two tackles wind up winning jobs. Somebody ousts Chad Wheeler and beats him out at the starting right tackle, and maybe somebody else comes in and beats him out as the number three. We don't know the answer to that yet. Mm. It's possible. Yeah. And quite honestly, who's going to be the other backup lineman? Because you know, Jeff... They'll keep at least eight, probably nine. You start with five. You need two. You got four backups. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the loser of the center spot gets one. Yep. Okay. And you got to have a swing. The third tackle is going to be another, and there are going to be two other guys. They're going to be inactive all year. But, but who are those guys going to be? Can, can I throw a name at you? 
Well, I don't, one of them's not even here. So I'm, I'm going to throw a name at you. Nick Gates. Okay. Nebraska lineman who last year was on the practice squad. Mm-hmm. He has <clears throat> some size and some real fight to him. He was a tackle at Nebraska. And as, when I watched this tape, I said to myself, he's absolutely a guard. Doesn't have the foot quickness to be on the outside. But he is ferocious, and he fights to the end of the whistle. He's got a motor. And they kept him on practice squad last year for a reason. And I, I, I just think that developmentally, he needed to mature his body sure. and get his strength going a little bit better. Yeah. I think he's a dark horse to sneak onto that 53 as one of the backup guards. Okay. Yeah, I mean, listen, the, the, he's probably one of those guys that would just, you know, he may not get a jersey every week, but he'll be on the active roster and, and continue to compete and learn. Oh, I got one more to finish off the thought yeah. from the caller, and then we'll go back to the phones again um, as we also try to scan Twitter for you. The, uh, the, the mention by Scott about too much pressure on, on, for example, the X-Man to try to come in and get sacks. Look, here's the problem. When you're trying to retool on the fly like the Giants are and you're going to get younger and more salary cap friendly, you're going to need some guys to hit immediately. Correct. Look, in 2007, that rookie class was sensational. There were 10 of them. They all hit yep. right away. Yep. Aaron Ross. I mean, you, know, you had Corey Webster. How about Ahmad Bradshaw? My bro, how, well, gee, okay, if you, <laughs> you want know, to talk about hit, that's you know, a hit. That's really. a six-round hit. You know, Steve Smith? Yeah, hello. You know, yeah. some really good hits. Yeah. So here's the thing. I'm going to bet you, and I've said this before on the show, but I'm going to say it with you here too, Jeff. I think the Giants get significant contributions out of at least six rookies this year. I really believe that. And I'm including Beal amongst that six. Okay. I think they can do that. And if they get that kind of contribution out of six rookies, this team is going to be markedly improved. And that's I, what it's going to take. I see, I, see all, I see two through six picks actively okay. contributing. Okay. okay. And then you got, you got Darius Slayton, Corey Ballantyne, uh, Big, uh, Big George. Right? Right. And then Slayton. Of those guys, I, f- I feel Corey Ballantyne will probably be the one guy in there that would contribute, so that would make six. Okay. And you're going to include Beal or not include Beal? No, I didn't include You include Beal. So you so got, got six also. I got Ballantyne. I got Love, um, O'Shane, X-Man, Baker, and Lawrence. So one, two, three, four, Beal, five, Ryan Connolly, six, and Corey Ballantyne, possibly seven. You could go as high as seven. I could go as high as seven. Now, what, what does that mean? Okay, so I would say that contributing, meaning these guys are getting a jersey on Sunday and they're playing in the game, whether it's special teams or they're, they're playing. I mean, obviously, Dexter Lawrence, Baker, um, um, oh, Zimenez. I'm, I'm not just saying they play, they're playing in games. I'm saying they will contribute plays that will help the team win. You're going with six guys. I'm going with six. I would say about, I would say four. I would say four okay. guys. Okay. Anyway, if the Giants, and I do think this will be their best rookie class since 2007, and it better be if they're going to be a contender for a winning record. Okay, so let's... They're going to have to be. If you look at the draft class last year, you had at least, you had the top three guys were contributors. Okay, you had Hernandez. Okay. B.J. Hill and Lorenzo Carter. Okay, there was was three. So you're going... Three gave you significant contributions. They also got a significant contribution out of Grant Haley who wound up in the second half of the season being the starting slot. Sure. So that's four. Okay. Yep. All right. So this year you got a couple four. more. Yep. Four last year. I'm saying six this year. Very good. Very good. All right. 
Who who's your guy on this on this on this draft roster, if you will, that you are you're going to say is going to have an outstanding season, and you are going to be like, oh, we knew this kid was going to be a player, and look what he did. Oh, it's it's very hard for me not to believe that Baker and Lawrence, both the two first round draft picks, uh, are going to yeah. be not be. St- I mean, again, we're using that word starters. They're going to play a ton, yeah, and they're going to put up a lot of stats. I think Dexter Lawrence. I think this is a really. I mean, you look at that front three positions, and you've got guys that that B.J. Hill last year. Okay, yeah, even though he got a lot of sacks in one game, he still was a pretty. He he made a significant con- contribution as the season went along. He got a lot better. He's only going to get better this season. So that that first those three defensive linemen, those are some pretty good guys. Tomlinson is still learning, but he's still a you know a pretty good pretty pretty good defensive lineman. So Lawrence, I'm I'm excited of all these guys. I'm excited to see Dexter Lawrence play football. I'll add this to you too. The real X factor, the guy who could really push this class over the top during the 2019 season is O'Shane Zimenez. Because if the X man should just absolutely bust it out as a rookie and let's say come up with nine or ten sacks and i think that's a lot to ask you want to talk about putting pressure on a kid scott that's a lot of pressure okay (laughs) yeah i mean i think getting getting six would be a real nice realistic number for him in college but if he if he busts out and let's say gets nine or ten that's going to make a huge impact on this rookie class if he should somehow do that and i look even Lawrence Taylor did not have ten sacks as a rookie. Okay. Well, I think so. That's you, asking an awful lot. I'm not going to ask him. Let's for just that. say that he does get six. Six would be a very, very as sweet a young number rookie. For him. And then you know you talked about coming into this draft and where are you going to find your edge rushers? Well, you found one there if the kid can get six sacks. Okay, because you're hoping that Lorenzo Carter and uh, Marcus Golden and some of the interior linemen can pick up the slack. I mean, the Giants did not have a lot of sacks last season, as we know. They got to build upon that. They really do. Because, listen, bottom line with this defense is that this defense was handed the, the game to them many times last year, mm-hmm. and they couldn't get after the four. quarterback. Four games. Okay, they were 5-11, and 11, right? Mm-hmm. Four, they win four of those other games. They're, they're right in there. They're right in the thick of things. Anyway. So, all right, let's go to line two. Mike's from Town, Long Island. Hello. You're Hi next guys, on the show. How's it going? Great. Good. How are you? I just want to talk about a couple of things. All right. Um, uh, first thing, uh, Paul, uh, yeah. after we finish the conversation, I'd like you to uh, tell all the fans about a running back that was pretty tough guy, a guy named Doug Kotar. Oh, my goodness. Number okay, 44. But, but talk about that later. I want to uh, just remind you, Paul, on one thing. Uh, right before the draft, I, I had called, and I hope you remember this conversation, uh, I had watched Daniel Jones' pro day, and I said, I'm totally confused. This guy looks like the real thing to me, and uh, I sure was right, wasn't I? Well, we will find out over the course of the next several years. Uh, it's easy to have a knee-jerk reaction to any pick because we look at the college film and we have perceptions and we have projections and we have uh, expectations. Uh, I agreed with you that my two favorite quarterbacks in this draft were Daniel Jones and Jared Stidham. I've made that very clear. I thought Stidham could be a third-round sleeper for somebody. By the way, Belichick got him in the fourth round, which just goes to show you 
that obviously somebody else thought something real good about him too. Are you comparing yourself to Belichick? No, no, oh. I'm just saying somebody <laughs> really did their homework on that kid because that Auburn quarterback did. is good. Yeah. He's good. Well, you know what? Who else did their homework? When they were watching, the Giants were watching that kid. <laughs> they saw something in the receiver that they got too. Yeah, right? <laughs> anyway, you, but, but, but you're, you're, you're correct. I mean, Daniel Jones. Jerry Slayton, excuse me. Yeah. Daniel Jones, to me, uh, would have been my favorite quarterback prospect. I just didn't have him in the first round, but that's okay. Right. Right, right. And just just one other thing I wanted to just mention. Uh, I was watching the uh, Big Blue View, and they had uh, cut-ups of Daniel Jones' game against Clemson, okay? Now, i got to tell you, you know, Clemson, you know, they're a wonderful team. This guy, Daniel Jones was just amazing in a losing effort. He was running all over the place. Passing, his passing was very, very good. He had no time to throw. It reminded me of Eli Manning, uh, you know, uh, a couple of years ago where he, he didn't have two seconds to throw the ball. And, uh, I, I, you know, and he was great at the line of scrimmage. He was looking and uh, looking one way and throwing another way. He did a wonderful job. I don't understand why uh, all these media folks think he's such a, you know, a, uh, a low-level talent. It's just, it's just disgraceful how they beat this guy up. Yeah, because you know what? They were all wrong. They were all wrong in their picks. That's why they got mad at the organization for drafting somebody they wanted. It's like, you know, I mean, listen, there were guys around that had mock draft Daniel Jones going to the Giants. So it's not a complete surprise that this happened. But the media likes to beat up on it because that's the media. That's what they want to do. Remember, they all screamed for months that it had to be Haskins. So in the last week leading up to the draft, a bunch of them started change. to change and yeah. said, uh-oh, uh-oh, we got to back off of this. We'll start throwing Daniel Jones's name out of this because we don't want to look really stupid. Well, okay, but here's the problem. For three and a half months, you looked really stupid because you kept screaming <laughs> for Haskins. And, right. now, and now they're angry that, you know, they were, in fact, made to look foolish. Right. Uh, uh, just just one other thing be, before you talk about Kotar. Um, can you imagine Haskins in front of the New York media? Well, I think that... I, I can't. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. We'll see how he handles the D.C. media, which is nothing like the New York no. media. And that's part of the reason that's, why he's not a good fit here. no question in my mind. And I heard somebody, Dave Bettleman, said it. If you look, go back and listen to some of his press conferences, a lot more that goes into playing quarterback in New York than just being talented on the field. There that's you right. go. There you go. Okay, listen, thanks, guys. You're welcome. Happy right, Friday. Have a good weekend. Kotar, please. All right. Uh, Doug Coder, and I just looked up his height and weight because I wanted to be very specific to give people an idea. Uh, he's listed at 5'11", 205 pounds. Now, 205 might have been soaking wet. All right. Coder, Coder was a terrific heart the size of a lion, number 44, came to the Giants the last year that they were up at the Yell Bowl. Okay. And he was a pass-catching halfback. Would have been a sensational third-down back, okay? But he didn't have blazing speed. You know, he was more on the smaller side. He wasn't big enough to be a power whore, a power a runner. He wasn't big enough to be a workhorse back. He wasn't big enough to be a fullback. And he wasn't quick enough to be a scat back, okay? But here was the thing, Jeff. He had tremendous instincts. He had tremendous heart. He had the softest hands like Charmin bathroom tissue, okay? 
catching a ball out of the backfield. And, and, and the Giants were not good. The offensive line, to say they were Swiss cheese, is being kind. <laughs> and during those five or six years that Coder played, he would give them everything that he had and would get the living stuffing beat out of him like a teddy bear week after week after week after week. And to understand his size, you knew yeah. that he was just taking a brutal pounding and it was like, how is he going to be able to pick himself up off the ground and play next Sunday? But he did it every single time. A lot of guys did it back then. That's just the way you were. That's, that's it. That's, that's how you played football back in those days. He was what you call a football player. <clears throat> mm-hmm. well, you would have loved him, Jeff. He's an old mean, school guy. Yeah. Okay? And, and, of course, blood and guts guy, a giant in every sense of the word, and then he wound up falling to cancer. Mm. And, and it, it's a, it was a tragic end to a story. And every one of his teammates was absolutely crushed because he was a coach's favorite. He was a fan favorite. He was a teammate favorite. Doug Coder, every time I even talk about him, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I, I get like a little bit chilly about it because what a, what a giant. What a giant. And the, the stats aren't, sure. you know, gaudy. But he gave what you want a giant he gave, player to do. He gave you everything yeah. and more. Sure. You know, everything and more. Anyway, I appreciate you for bringing him up because, uh, you know, he, he, he to me is a giant legend and doesn't get put in that category uh, too often, especially because a lot of young people don't remember him. Anyway, we go back to the phones. Charlie from Portland, Maine, you're up on the show. Hey, Charlie. Hey, Paul. Hey, Jeff. Hello, How Charles. Good. How hey, are you, my man? Good. Hey, don't forget Hager, the senator that we picked up from Buffalo. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if he sticks on the team because um, I think he's uh, he was a wrestling champion. Um, I you mean O'Hagan? He's a center that could actually compete. And to me, Jalapio, you know, he's played center. He's probably had, what, 20 snaps at center or 30? I'd rather go with uh, somebody who uh, has center experience. Yeah, yeah and, Charlie. Uh, he, James O'Hagan is guard. is six one three hundred pounds. By the way, just to give you the the uh, yeah. the physical numbers on him, and this is a guy who, you know, was a track and field shot putter, as you mentioned, and has very very little experience. It's it's very limited to me. You know, the way it was described by uh, offensive line coach Hal Hunter during the media avails the other day is that he doesn't have just 100 miles to get coached up. He's got 300 miles to get coached no, up. No, I'm not talking about that guy, Paul. I'm talking about the center from Buffalo. He was a three-year starter, and he uh, had a whole bunch of starts playing center. You're not he, talking uh, about O'Hagan? No, no. I'm, uh, I'm not talking about the, the guy, the shot foot guy who hadn't played uh, football in about three years. Who's that, Dave? Ever. Drugsma. Drugsma. You're talking about Drugsma? No, no. I'm talking about I'm talking about the center from Buffalo, but Hogan. he has had a lot of experience playing oh, center. No Hogan on there. Drugsma is the shot putter. Oh, Drugsma's the shot putter. Oh, I had yeah, the I, I yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Dave is telling yeah. me I had the wrong name. Uh, look, folks, I'm not gonna lie to you. He might nine, he might have six six miles. With ninety guys on this roster right now, <laughs> it's easy to get a tad. You got confused. that, Charlie. And besides, That's I'm I, old. I know every one of the ninety guys on our roster. God bless you, Charlie, because I still don't know. <laughs> all, not hey. not all ninety of them are offensive linemen either. By the way, That's true. Much to your <laughs> yeah. chagrin. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes. All right, Charlie, go ahead. I got another caller, so go ahead. What's yeah, up, tell me, tell me a little bit about the two new kickers we got. We got this Ryan. Oh, Ryan Anderson? Yeah, he's from yeah. Rutgers. Yep. Uh, yeah, you know. We also got Sky Pilot. Okay. Oh, hi. Can you... Uh, well, they're both going to be and camp can, guys. You know that. I mean, there's, there's no way they're going to beat these other two guys out. And they're just here to, to compete against the guys that are here for camp legs, as we call them. And they're going to, you know, their opportunity is to come in and get a little bit of tape and get into some preseason games and take a little of the load off of the of Aldrich and um, and uh, Riley. And so, if things work out well for them, yeah. they'll be on the short list should the Giants sure. need to make a call. Yeah, that's right. And, and you all know right, what? Sounds good, guys. You got all it. Right, Thanks, Charlie. Charlie. Have a good weekend. Thank you. Yeah. We it was kind of cool, though. I mean, those yeah. guys did get signed off of the off the tryout camp, which was pretty nice. Yeah. What do you know about Anderson? Is he a, a distance guy, hang time guy, <clears throat> directional guy? Do you know? Um, about directional, directional guy, and he was out of football all of last season. Um, so you know, it took a year to get into the league, so to speak, and you know, good for him. Okay. That's all I know about him. All right, we go to line one, and Woody, you're next on Big Blue Kickoff Live. In fact, our last caller of the day. Go ahead, sir. Hey, how you doing? Hi. Well, I have I have to follow Charlie. I'm yeah. sorry. Unfortunately, just, the good news unfortunately, is, unfortunately, somebody does every day. <laughs> At least you got in. <laughs> go ahead. Okay, I want to kind of talk about you know Gettleman's draft picks, and and it looks to me everybody's looking for talent, obviously. But he seems to have picked people with high character, a lot of versatility, and leadership qualities. Mm -hmm. Those seem to be pretty good traits. To Five out of the ten draft picks were team captains in college. Good. Good. You need it. Yeah. You need it because, I, you know, I if listen, you were listening to I our show, if you were and, listening uh, to our show earlier. Coaches um, talk about these people, and they give a lot of insight, and, and these characteristics I see coming up when they're talking about them even. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you listen, earlier in the show, we had a caller ask us about the locker room and basically the culture and things that happen in the locker room. And when you go through a draft and you get five captains out of 10 of your draft picks, what does that tell you that Dave Gettleman is trying to do? He's trying to build the locker room through character and good guys that aren't going to undermine the organization when things start to go wrong. You want the leaders to rise up and lead by example and lead to the teams as if you are getting a losing streak, you got to get back on it. You got to get, excuse me, get back off that, that losing streak and get back into winning. And it takes winners in the locker room with guys with high character. And that's what he's doing. I, I applaud him for that because you know what? They, they were, they were captains for a reason, Woody. They were, they were voted most likely by their, by their teammates. And that means a lot. Well, that's why I have a lot of faith in Mr. Gettleman as, some people may not, but I do. <laughs> well, a lot of people do not at this point, but you know what? Uh, why don't we give the guy a chance and let, let his second draft kind of come to fruition and see what happens here? He's got a lot of them. I didn't think that they would get 10, but they did. Uh, they had 12 to start off with, and they're yeah. getting 10. I was thinking about eight or nine, but... Excuse me. I thought nine was going to be the max because sure. I thought they were going to try to deal some. In fact, they did. Yeah. Uh, and they even tried to do another deal, but they wound up just taking and 10. And the ones that they did deal, they went up and got DeAndre Baker, which was really good. Yes. So <laughs> that was a good move. I thought the craftiest move that Gettleman made in the yeah, entire draft. Yeah. What else you got, Woody? Yeah. Anything else? Hey, uh, oh, yeah. I got a couple old hog mollies for you. How about Greg Larson and Doug Van Horn? Oh, my goodness. Greg, Greg Larson uh, actually comes from the, uh, the early 60s days when Ali Sherman was there. Uh, Larson played guard and center for the Giants, and he, and he went from the Tittle era 
all the way to the Tarkenton era. Uh, the Norm Sneed era, actually. Lloyd Larson played a long time. Uh, his brother was on the Minnesota Vikings, uh, and he was a lineman as well. Uh, Doug Van Horn, of course, uh, you know, one of the longtime guys who bridged the late to mid-60s into the mid-70s, uh, an offensive lineman who was another scrappy guy, always overmatched physically, never the biggest guy, never the strongest guy, never the most athletic guy, but he was like Brad Benson before there was Brad Benson. Just a blue-collar scrapper who would just get in there like a junkyard dog and give you everything he had. So I love when you guys bring up these names. These, these guys are great great memories to a Giants historian like me. Yeah, me too. I started watching back, back when it was Tucker Fredrickson and Homer Jones. and Spider Oh, Lawson sure. And, all those guys. and it's funny, too, because Gary Larson, who was the brother of Greg and, and was the Vikings defensive lineman, the funny part about it is, you know, a lot of people knew him because he was you know, Purple People Eaters with the Vikings, and obviously the Vikings were very good in those days. And I never thought that Greg Larson got enough credit. I think he wound up going to two or three Pro Bowls, as I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Um, a guard slash center. And, and I, you know, look, you know what I'm talking about. In that era, there were not a lot of great seasons to cheer about. No. You know, the two <laughs> no, winning seasons in 70 and 72 were really all the Giants had. Other than that, they went through that 17 years of non-playoff seasons with only two winning years. It was difficult. Okay, well, that's all I got for today. Thanks, Thanks Woody. Guys. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank you very Thank much. You. All right, before we go, uh, we do have uh, E, the Chosen One, uh, has a comment here. Uh, Jeff, he says, uh, I guess somebody called Easy must have, have uh, messaged him, so he wanted to message us. He says uh, they're calling this pick the most controversial in draft history. That would be the one for Daniel Jones at number six. He says, I don't know about that, but this is what carries when you have a generational defensive player passed for a developmental possible future quarterback. Mm -hmm. And look, Dave Gettleman himself said passing on Josh Allen was very difficult mm -hmm. to do. All right, was he a generational player? I don't know, but... He could be. We'll find out. A lot of people seem to think he's going to be like Leonard Floyd of the Bears. He'll be a very potent pass rusher, but that's not quite to the generational level. When I think generational player, and I'm not even going to talk about number 56 because he's above mm -hmm. everybody, but when I talk generational player, you know, I mean... <sighs> it's, it's a guy that doesn't come around very often. Right. LT is a once in a lifetime. It's not just very often. It's I once mean, in a lifetime. They, so I'm they, not gonna I'm not gonna go there. But you know, Carl Banks was a generational player. Saquon, they say, is a generational you know, player. They, I mean, he the guy. You look at. I mean, there's not many guys that come out of the draft like him. I Seth, mean, look. Seth, Seth Joyner was was that kind of player, right? He was really good. I don't know Multiple, if he was a generational. Maybe not player. a generational no, player. No, no, I'm no, trying no. to think that uh, you know. All right, uh, who's a level down from Lawrence? Because Lawrence stands by himself. Well, how about on, Kevin we, Green? If we, Kevin Green. Okay. What about offensively? Right? What about Gronkowski? I mean, the Gronk is yeah, a generational. He's a player. generational player, and there are people who argue about him being a Hall of Famer or not. Believe it or not. Oh, I don't. I don't really care about the Hall of Fame anymore because I think it's just a joke. But yeah. the fact is, is that he is a heck of a football player, and he, you know, a Hall of Famer to me is a guy that can change the game. He changed the game. Gronkowski changed the game from the tight end yeah. position, and he yeah. not only yeah. physically, but schematically. I mean, look at what that offense for New England does with him and what it does without him. 
There you go. Well, guys like Junior Seau and Ray Lewis were generational players, no but question. they didn't change the game. Lawrence Taylor changed the well, game. Yeah, yeah. That's but, what but, makes him but, totally different. But he wasn't a generational player. He was a once-in-a-lifetime player. Correct. <laughs> so, Correct. Dude, that takes, takes him to, out of the generation. That takes it to another whole yeah, level. And yeah. I know Bill Belichick agrees with me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just... <laughs> are, are we done? Yeah. We could go on forever with this generational thing. I know. I mean... I know. Just trying to figure out who's on that next level down because everybody's under Lawrence Taylor. The well, have a good team. weekend, everyone. He's Jeff Beagles. I'm Paul Tatino. You've been watching Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. We are here Monday through Friday every single week from 12 to 1 Eastern Time, 201-939-4513. Write it down and give us a call on our next show. Have a great day, everybody.